to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. Come on, will you stand with me all over the church? And open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 6. And this morning, I want to begin a series that I've uh, labeled or entitled Full. And the reason I've entitled it Full, thank you so much, is because I'm aware that there is in the Bible uh, many exhortations from God about things that He wants to fill us with. He wants us to be full of these things. And so this morning... um, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about something that we are to be filled with. And today we're going to talk about being full of faith. And then next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to talk about being full of God's word. And then the next Sunday, we're going to talk about being full of joy. And then the final Sunday, I want to talk about being full of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. So uh, Acts chapter 6, and let's just read this this morning. Now, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, this is the early church, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen. I want you to notice this. A man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. You got a, you got a feeling I might be coming back to this verse in about four weeks. <laughs> full of the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Timon, Parmenus, Parmesan cheese. I don't know how to say this. Parmenus and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they sent before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Uh, and then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And watch this. And Stephen, there it is again, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Thank you so much. You can be seated this morning. Um, I know that you know this, but let me just remind you. As a matter of fact, it's one of those things, if I remind you, it might scare you. I don't know if this is going to help you or not. But uh, here, here we go. Every day in your life, you live in faith. In your natural life that you live, it takes faith to live your life. Now, let me give you an example. When you drive your car up to a red light and it turns green, you have faith that the other red lights on the right and the left are red. <laughs> you can't see them, but you're, you're believing that they're red and you can go through the, the intersection safely. You're, you're having faith that the drivers to your right and to your left are not going to decide they're in a hurry and go through the intersection and T-bone you. You do this every day. You do this at a four-way stop. Every day you have faith in people and things you can't even see or control. Isn't that amazing? You ever Have you ever ridden on an airplane? Do you know how much faith you put 
in a lot of people and things when you get on an airplane, you're trusting that that airplane is mechanically sound. You're trusting the mechanics who work on the plane and maintain the plane. You're trusting that the pilot knows what he's doing, that he's sober, that he's not on drugs, that he's not out there in the cockpit passed out. You're trusting the co-pilot, okay? You're trusting the guy in the tower when the plane takes off that he's not taking, the plane's not taking off at the same time on the runway, your runway, when another plane is landing. That would be a problem, wouldn't it? You're, you're trusting that the air traffic controllers are keeping you from running into another plane in the air because there are all these other planes going in and out. You don't want to fly anymore now, do you? It takes a lot of faith to do that. I did not know this morning that I was talking with one of our members prior to the first service. He didn't know I was going to use this for an example. But he told me that, I said, what's happening? We were talk- He said, I went skydiving. He went skydiving. I said, you mean, and he's like, my age. I said, you got in an airplane. He said, I did a tandem. I said, what was it like? He said, that moment when you jump out of the plane, you want to to jump back in the plane. But you can't. He said, there's that moment. He said, I said, I bet it was a rush. I've always wanted to do that. He came up after church. He's trying to talk me into doing that. Then I can sing, I went skydiving. But I ain't been Rocky Mountain climbing, and I ain't getting on a mechanical bull. That ain't happening. It ain't even going to be two point seconds. <laughs> so I'm not doing that. But, but I, I, I'll be honest, that's on a bucket list. And my dad always said, you promise your insurance agent you won't do those kind of things. So I don't know. But, but he went, Scott, and I, I, so I was preaching, I talked about him, and I said, do you know how much faith he had? Okay, he, he had faith in the airplane, okay, that it was going to get up. And land, and well, I guess it didn't matter about his landing, but at least get up. And then, and then that they had these straps. He he was connected to another guy that those straps were going to hold, and that this guy knew what he was doing. And that when they jumped out of the plane, when they pulled the ripcord, that the chute would come out, okay, and that the chute didn't have a little tear in it, because <laughs> the force of that parachute opening the wind, that that little tear would become a mighty big hole. And your parachute would turn into a hole. And then you're going to be a hole in the ground. I Just imagine the faith. That, my point is, every day in life, you're trusting. You buy, I could just keep going. You buy food at the store and hope it's fresh. No E. coli. Salmon, salmonella in the salmon. You know what I'm saying? And so, it just takes faith. Well, here's what I want to preach today. As much or more, as you have to operate in faith in this natural life, faith is necessary in your spiritual life. Faith is a major component of the Christian life. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to have faith in God. There is a passage of Scripture that's sort of one of those biggies. It goes like this, the just shall live by faith. Okay, that's a major scripture in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's repeated in the New Testament. The just, those who are born again, those who are righteous, those who are saved, those who serve God, those who live right, shall live. That's a lifestyle. Live by what? Live by faith. We live our life exercising hope, confidence, trust in God. That's, that's what it's all about. You have to walk it. Look, when you got saved, it took faith to get saved. For by grace you are saved through faith and not not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It takes faith for you to walk in obedience to God. 
You've got to trust that God's moral system is better than your moral system. You've got to trust that when God says something's wrong, morally wrong, well, then it's morally wrong. If you've got to trust that if God says something is morally right, well, then it's morally right. If you've got to trust that when God says to you, don't do this, don't say this, don't go there, that that's that's exactly the way it is, and you're not going to do it. Meanwhile, if God says, do this, obey me in this, go in this direction, say this thing, operate your finances in this way, etc., you've got to trust that God knows what he's talking about. The writer of Hebrews said, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anybody in this house want to please God? Do you all want to please God? That's like 40% of you. What's wrong with you? Try this again. How many of you want to please God? There you are. If you want to keep the promises and experience the promises of God, rather. How many know there are plenty of promises in the Bible? And those promises are for us. The promises of God are yes and amen to us. But if you're going to experience and and enjoy the fulfillment of God's promises to his children, you have to have faith. The writer of Hebrews said, he who comes to God must believe that he is and believe, that's faith, that he is a rewarder or, or a remunerator of those who seek him. So y'all get the point. If you're going to follow Christ, you have to live, you're going to live a life of faith. Now, what is faith? I'm going to give you the technical definition. It is a divinely planted inward confidence, assurance, trust, and reliance in God and all that he says. How do you like that? That's a good definition. Divinely planned. God has to give you faith. He has to give you that, that ability to believe. And then that belief is, is, is a confidence, a trust, an assurance that God is who he says he is and God does what he says he does and that his word, which is the Bible, is true and what it says applies to us. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is in Romans 4.21. Some of you may have never even paid attention to this. But it is a definition of faith. It's not the definition of faith. But it is a definition of faith. It goes like this. Faith is being fully convinced that what God has promised, he is also able to perform. That's faith. Stephen, who we refer to in the text up here on the screen, was, was a man of faith. Stephen was one of the first deacons of the early church. He was a church leader. And Acts 6, verse 5 and verse 8 describe him as a man full of faith. Now, what does it mean to be full of faith? Here's my simple definition. To be full of faith means that you totally and completely trust God and his word. Totally. In every area of your life, in anything and everything... You trust God and you trust what he said. Barnabas was another early church leader. He was viewed as a, quote, good man, full of faith, close quotes. A good man, full of faith. So, y'all, here are the things, the traits, or the characteristics of the early church that are, that are lasting all the way up to the church here in the 21st century. Here's what I'm trying to say to you today. I believe with all my heart as I read the Bible God wants you, every man and woman in this room who is a child of God, to be a man or a woman full of faith. Full of faith. Full of confidence and trust in God. Now, let's just go down this road. 
you're doing a little bit better. The first service didn't hardly amen me at all. I thought I was preaching in a closet. What happens if you live your life that it's not full of faith? What happens if you are not full of faith? Well, here's what happens. You will be someone with little faith. You will be someone with partial faith. I came up with this little phrase. It works for me. You will be a person with fragmented faith. And what does that mean? It means you trust God with some things, but you don't trust God with other things. You trust God and his word for some things, but you have areas where you are deliberately not relying on him. You have doubts about God. You have doubts about what God has said. You're you're putting it up against the backdrop of our culture, of our society, of what you're hearing on the news or the media plays or what you see on commercials and and, and what happens in this world. You're laying it and you're just saying, it's so different from what America is and our culture is and and I'm having a hard time making it match. And so, you know, I I don't know if that applies anymore. It just seems it's so countercultural and and I don't know if I I'm just I don't know that I can accept that because I know that I'm in this world and you have to be reminded by me but you're not of this world and so when you have trouble hanging on to what God says in spite of what the world says you have fragmented faith you have doubts about God about his ability or about what he has said about certain things so hang on And let me just describe this to you. So fragmented faith results in you not praying to God about certain things because you don't want to pray to God about it. You're going to handle it. Fragmented faith results in you refusing to obey certain commands in the Bible because you just don't want to. Maybe because of your flesh, maybe because of... The culture, maybe because it will make you appear radical to other people. And so you just don't want to do it. A fragmented faith results in you relying on yourself or others or human resources or wisdom rather than on God's power and God's wisdom. Now, if you're not getting it, that's not what God wants. But do you know there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians that that aptly describes their life. There is a story in Matthew chapter 8 where the disciples are in a boat on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus is in the boat with them exhausted and he immediately crashes in the boat. He's asleep. I mean in a deep sleep. The Sea of Galilee is actually below sea level, surrounded by mountains. And so it is common knowledge that storms will arise like that on the Sea of Galilee because of the way it's situated. And so, and so this storm comes up on the Sea of Galilee and the wind is blowing, maybe the rain's falling, the waves are, 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 are now three feet high, you know, capping out and, and water's coming over the boat. Jesus is asleep. The disciples panic and they start bailing Peter and James and John and Andrew are, 
are, are, the, are the sailors, so they're trying to steer the boat, and they're trying to work that. The rest of the disciples are bailing water. They're screaming. They're yelling. They're, some of them are crying out for help, hoping that maybe a nearby ship will come help them, but that's useless. They're trying to do everything they can do. They're terrified, but they got God in their boat. Do you see what the picture I'm painting? That you're in life and you have something going on and you're trying to do everything that you can do and you pull people in around you to do everything that you can do. In the meantime, the one who can do something about it is right there in your life, but you treat him like he's asleep and you just keep doing it. And then as a last resort, they finally wake him up and say, Jesus, and that's a stupid question, don't you care? He always cares. And they said, save us. So Jesus is in this boat, and he, he, he's, in, he's in water up to here, and he stands up, and, you know, you think he's going to say something to the winds and waves. Instead, he says something to the disciples. Now listen to what he said. He said, why are you fearful, oh, you of little faith? So, see, they were full of something and empty of something else. Why are you fearful? which means they are full of fear. Fear is doubt. Fear is the exact opposite of faith. Why are you fearful, O oh, you of little faith, partial faith, fragmented faith? You don't have hardly any faith in me or what I can do, but you are terrified and you're looking at your circumstances and you're not looking at me. And he was gently chastising. And brothers and sisters, it may be that through this story, the voice of the Lord is speaking to somebody this morning and saying, you have me in your life, but you keep trying to fix things and do things your way and you're just bailing water, barely making it. The boat is sinking and you're not trusting me. I'm right here. And I can handle it for you. They trusted him, but they trusted him little. They believed that he was the son of God, but they didn't believe that he was the son of God that could fix their circumstance. And then he just rebuked the winds and the waves. And I love the stories of the Bible because you have to think about all the details. You know, I, I often mention this when I preach on this. We have Lake Hartwell. I've been on a Lake Hartwell when you've had the white caps. And, and you've got big waves. Twice I got on the lake when the waves were coming over top of the bass boat. Now, that's big waves. And I, don't, I stay away from that. You should not be on the lake when that kind of thing is. I just happened to be fishing in a tournament, but we got off but the lake. But I, what I'm trying to tell you is, it's, and we know that when you have a storm, you still have the white caps. When the storm, the lake's still moving. When Jesus said, peace be still, the lake instantly went placid. You think God's got to work his way into something for you and God can just speak and change it right then and there. All right, so what happens when you live your life full of faith? Oh, what a life. You live completely trusting God in every area of your life. I'm going to make a list. It's not exhaustive, but I'm going to make a list. You trust God with your finances. You trust God in marriage. You trust God with your parenting. You trust God with your relationships. You trust God in conflict resolution. You trust God with your business. You trust God with your character, your morality, 
You trust God with your speech and what you say and what you don't say. You trust God with your ministry because everybody here has some kind of ministry. You trust God with divine protection. Okay? That's what it means to be full of faith. And it means that you obey God when your decision is not popular, when it runs against the grain of what is socially acceptable, and when it will cost you ridicule, scorn, or persecution. That's being full of faith. When you're full of faith, you never say God can't or God won't. And you always leave room for the possible. Even when the professionals or your eyes or your family members are saying this situation is impossible. Because Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26, with men things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's what you say when you're a man or woman full of faith in God. Can I get in your stuff? All 12 of you, thank you. This is going to be really fun when we're live streaming in about another week. Finances. Why is it that when you have financial trouble, all right, now if the shoe doesn't fit, don't wear it. I'm just speaking in general terms. That the first thing people do is they stop tithing. Financial trouble. Oh, we got to find some money to pay these bills. We'll take God's. See, that's what y'all doing to me, what the first service did. Thinking that we're going to take, you know, we got to shift some money around, so we'll take God's money and we're not going to, we're not, who oh, don't write that tithe check. Oh, we can't write that tithe check because we've got all these. You have closed up the windows of heaven that were open over your life. You at least had that going for you. And you just closed it up and now you are on your own. That's not faith. What's faith is you write the tithe check anyway and say, we'll worry about the bills. God will take care of the bills. Now, if you've never had to do that, that will for you will be a step of faith. But if you'll trust God, God will come through for you. By the way, why are you in such financial trouble? Did you get yourself in that debt? Now, if you lost your job, that's one thing. But if you got yourself overextended and all of a sudden it's hard, oh, we better stop giving the ties. Do you have faith or not? You understand what I'm preaching today? I'm just asking you. I'm going to tithe. Okay, Lee and I tithe. We tithe when we didn't have $17.22 left in the checking account. The tithe always came out. Okay, so I know, I, but I'm talking to you. Marriage. Why is it that we get married, love each other to death, and God's given us these wonderful directions that could help us have a wonderful marriage made in heaven, 
where, sir, you love your wife as Christ loved the church, which means you got to be sacrificial and you got to deny yourself and you got to look out for her needs first. And then, ma'am, you're supposed to submit to him as unto the Lord and respect him and love him. But then we do the opposite things because we have all this learned behavior that we got from our parents who had a totally dysfunctional marriage and we keep reaching back for that and trusting that rather than trusting what God says. Parenting. The Bible speaks a lot about parenting. You are supposed to raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. You know what that means? Raise them to love God and respect God. And then teach them what the Bible says. It's your job. You teach them. It's your job to get them to church. Do you know every time you keep your child out of church to go do something else, you are teaching your child that church is not important. It's secondary. But if it's secondary to you, don't expect them to be church-going people. And when they get old enough, they drop out of church. And then you're ruining and saying, oh, we failed as parents. Yes, you did, because you didn't do what God says. My parents said, get in the car. I'm going to beat you black and blue. We'll pray for your healing at church. That's what you do. You're the parent. You're not their pal. I just want to be my pal. You're not their pal. You're their parent. Okay? Now let's talk about discipline, okay? I don't want to spank my angel. She, she ain't an angel. She's a fallen angel, okay? I was a youth pastor, and I had a lady say to me, we were talking about we were having some trouble. Oh, not my angels. I'm thinking, you ain't on your kids. You're your angels. You have no idea what your kids are like. They got you snowed under, mama. Children, the Bible says folly is bound up in the heart of a child. This is the Bible. This is what God says. But the rod of discipline will drive it far from them. The Lord put all that back there so it can get smacked every once in a while. You should spank your children, okay? And most of the time I told my boys it's going to hurt, uh, hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. But there was once or twice I said, I didn't say it, but I'm thinking, ooh, this is about to hurt you more than it'll ever hurt me. Ooh, you I was reminding Jaron the other day when he was 12, and another kid from the church was with us, and Jaron had been working his way up. I mean, he had been mouthing. You know how when you're 12. And he had just, and I had been putting up and putting with him and just verbally correcting him, and we were at the house, and we were going to go eat, and this, this other child was there who's, you know, went to our church. His mom and dad was, and we got in the back. He was mouthing off. I said, I had already put it in, I threw that thing up in park. I said, get out. Get out. I said, get in the house. I took him in the house. I wore him out. Bend over. That belt came out of the loop. I wore him out. He's crying. This is the guy that produces worship night tonight, by the way. I'm just, he's going to hate me. And so we were, we were laughing about this the other day. I said, get in that truck. He's doing this. He gets, you should have seen that boy. He's like this in the back of the truck. He's thinking he's next, you know. After that, Jaron was fine, you know, for about two months, and then it started again. Now, nothing that I said applies to grandchildren. Forget everything I just said. And all the grandparents said. Jaron jerked Bo up one day. I knew he was going to, he, he doesn't, he's still too little spank, but I knew he was going to have to deal with him. You know, sometimes you got to give him a little pop in the leg. I started begging, I started interceding. Jaron, don't spank him. Jaron, don't hit he said, Dad, I said, he's too little. Don't do anything to him. His mama just turned her head. She couldn't look. 
I kid you not, that's true. Your business. I'm going to get the rest of the sermon. Don't worry about it. Your business. Why is it that we men will be spiritual ladies? We're spiritual about everything else, God and everything else. But when it comes to our business, we don't even think about making God our business partner. You ever think about, you sound like a preacher. Well, I am. You ever think about tithing out of your business? I never thought about that. Yeah, tithe out of your business. I know people in our church who do that. Their businesses are exploding because they make God their business partner. I'm not too sure about that. Do you eat at Chick-fil-A or not? Truett Kathy said, we're going to make God our business partner. We're going to operate. They play Christian music in there. They close their business on Sunday. I've had a few times in life I wanted Chick-fil-A on Sunday. I just ride by and cry because it's closed. John Holmes, who owns these three Chick-fil-A's in Anderson, is a good friend of mine. He and Liz are good friends with me and Leah. And I was talking to John one day. We eat at the same restaurant. Sometimes we eat together. And I said, John, I said, what's the average numbers on, a, say, a McDonald's or a Burger King versus Chick-fil-A? He said, I can tell you right now because that's what they blows them out of the water. And McDonald's has to stay up till what? One in the morning, seven days a week. Y'all ain't hearing me. I'm trying to tell you, if you make God your business partner, Don't go hooking up with some heathen who's going to, you're going to have to spend every night worrying with ulcers that that partner of yours, you're going to wake up one morning, he's embezzled and taking everything you got and left you with nothing. The Bible says don't hook up with an unbeliever. I could just sit here and go on and on. There are business principles in the Bible that will help you operate your business and be successful. Are we people full of faith or not? Chirp, 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 chirp. What's that like? You need the movie where the, the crickets. To be full of faith doesn't mean that you only trust God to be faithful to you. It means you are always faithful to God. I mean, full of faith equals faithful. So you want, you want to rely on God to come through for you, but guess what? God's looking back at you saying, I'm relying on you to serve me in every area, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We have to be faithful to him. And, and that means you're consistent in your walk with God. That means you're the same in public as you are in private. That you are the same here as you are when you're outside of church. To sum it all up, it means you trust God on the mountains and in the valleys. You trust God in the good times and in the bad times. You trust God when life is going good and when things are going bad. Let me talk about my friend Job. Job, Job was rich. Job had a big family, lots of children, had a good marriage. He was in right relationship with God. God had a hedge around about him and protected him, and everything was wonderful. But one day God lifted the hedge and let the devil attack his family and then attack his health, and Job lost everything. All of his children died in one day in a tragic death. He should have grieved himself to death. He lost all of his wealth. His, his, his health was gone. He got these boils that had infection in them, and he would sit out where they broke to, to broken pottery, and he'd take the shards, and he would literally scrape the boils open to get the pus out to try to relieve the pain and the infection. His wife 
lost her faith in God, walked up to him and tried to get him to lose his and said, why are you still trusting God? Don't you see what's happening? God isn't real. God's not around. God doesn't care. Just curse God and die. And Job looked at her and said, you need to be quiet because you are speaking like a foolish child. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but that doesn't mean we stop trusting him. We just have a worship night and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. you got to praise him in the good times and in the bad. How can people praise him in the bad times? Because they're people who are full of faith. Job had three friends showed up who weren't much good at being friends. And they tried to say, Job, this is your fault. You failed God. You didn't serve God. You ever notice when things go bad, what's the first thing you do? You say, oh, what did I do wrong? Oh, God, I've sinned. Y'all do that? Everybody does that. God, that's the first thing you do. Nine times out of ten, you didn't do anything wrong. There's another cause for it, but that's the first thing. Oh, but his friends were convinced that Job had done something wrong. And they kept trying to make a sinner out of him. Job finally got fed up. He said, now listen, friends, I have not sinned. I have not failed him. I have lived righteous. And if I could get in a courtroom, I'd argue my case. But I'm having to argue with you three numbskulls. But you hear me. Just because bad things have happened does not mean that I've sinned. As a matter of fact, I have not wrecked my faith. I am still trusting him. I am still living for him. I I want some answers. But until I get answers or solutions, I'm not going to give up on God. I'm not going to give up on trusting God. And let me just let you know how much I'm going to trust him. If God... God came down here right now and killed me himself. I would still trust him to the last breath that comes out of my body. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him, he said. Now that's being full of faith. I want to tell you, God will never let you down. Amen? Are we full of faith? Now I want to help somebody because I know right now, There may be somebody here that is saying, Pastor, I'm under conviction. I mean, the more you've preached, I I recognize that I have fragmented faith. There are areas in my life I have not trusted God. I mean, I'm I'm under conviction. The Lord's dealing with me right now, but what am I going to do? Here's what you're going to do. You are going to understand that the, the life of faith is a process. And you just got to let God work in you and teach you and grow you and, and, and do something in your life. Does that make sense? It's a process that you've got to commit to. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is Abraham. Abraham lived in Ur of Chaldees, which is in modern-day Iraq. And God appears to him. He's a pagan. He serves and worships false gods. God shows up and speaks to him directly and says, stop following these false gods. I want you to follow me, live for me, serve me, and I want you to come where I I want you to go. Matter of fact, I want you to leave your country and your family, and I want you to follow me, and I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. That's going to be your land. I'm going to give you a son in your old age, and it's going to become a great nation as, as, as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. What a promise. So Abraham leaves and says, I believe in this God, that he is the only God. You never see Abraham going back to the false gods. He starts this walk with God, but so, so here's the thing. He walks with God, but early on he had some fragmented faith moments. But he kept walking and trusting. See, he let the process play out. And so here were his fragmented moments. Here, here were his fragmented moments. 
He leaves, but he takes his daddy, Tira, with him and his nephew, Lot. Well, God had said, leave your family. So they travel, and they get to a place called Haran, which is like they're halfway there. And his daddy, the patriarch, says, you know what? I think we're just going to settle down right here. And Abraham had to do it, and so they settled there. Now he's not doing what God wants him to do because he disobeyed God. Well, Terah, his daddy, dies. And when his daddy dies, now Abraham's a patriarch, and he says, everybody, come on, we're going to go obey God. And he starts again, and he heads towards the promised land. But he takes Lot, his nephew, with him. Should have left him. They get to the promised land. If you know the story, Lot gets rich, Abraham gets richer, and their cattle is so numerous that they cannot graze together, and their shepherds start fighting each other. And so Lot says, you know, Abraham says, Lot, we need to separate. And so Lot goes off to Sodom and Gomorrah. You've heard that story, right? Remember Lot's wife? She got turned into a pillar of salt. And Abraham, and finally, when Lot goes off, Abraham is now obeying God fully. But for a while, he didn't. And then, this, the amazing thing about Lot, about Abraham and Sarah, Sarah was an old woman. Lady, she was like very old, okay? And God touched her body and made it young again. Because eventually, she was going to have a child. And so, the youthfulness came back to her in her old age. And she, she I forget what she was, and Abraham, Abraham first started in the 70s, I think, or whatever. She looked like she was 25. And can I be plain? Can I just use the terminology? I don't want to offend anybody. She was hot. Is that the terminology? Is that okay? That's not bad. I didn't do anything bad, did I? Okay. She was hot, you know. And, and Abraham knew she was hot. Abraham's like, man, God, th- whoo, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Crow's feet gone. Wrinkles are gone, you know. So, she, but here's the problem. Now God's done this work in her but now she's attractive and she's hot. And they, so they have to go down to Egypt. There's a family. They have to go to another place, the king of Bimelech. She is his half-sister, okay? They did that back then. I don't recommend that now, okay? The Bible doesn't either. But, but that was the way it was. And so he says to her, don't tell them you're my wife because a lot of times the kings would take beautiful women like that. He's afraid they'd kill him and take his, his wife, Sarah, to be their wife, and he loses life. He said, let's just tell him you're my sister, which was a half-truth. And let me tell you, when you tell half-truths or half-lies, that's not walking full of faith. You're trying to control it. Right? If you told a half-truth this week, you're like, why did he have to go there? Too late. (laughs) And God, guess what? They took his hot wife. So they thought was his sister. Then God had to intervene and plagued them, and they came back. Now listen to me. I'm going to teach you something. I'm teaching you a lot of stuff today. If you listen to the man of God, they had to come back. Guess what both those kings did? They chastised Abraham. Why would you lie to us? Now let me tell you all something. You ain't full of faith if people in the world have to call you out for what you're not doing right, and they look at you and say, I thought you were a Christian. All right? If you're full of faith, you do the right thing, you let the chips fall. Right? Then he got Hagar, 
that whole thing, that was Sarah not having, she had fragmented faith, and she gets her servant and gives him, because that's what the culture did. See, when you start letting the culture dictate what you do instead of Christ, you're going to get in trouble. Every time you'll get in trouble. And so they, they have this baby, because she's going to have the baby through Hagar, but Sarah's going to take it as her own, and we'll just help God with the promise. God doesn't need any help. God can fix your situation all by himself. You're just going to mess it up. And so eventually Ishmael, finally Isaac comes along, the baby of promise, the supernatural baby in their old age. The Ishmael had to go, and it hurt. God had to send away his son and his wife and send them off. Listen, when you get yourself emotionally invested in things that are not of God, but then you want to try to live right and be full of faith, it may hurt. When you're dating somebody that you have no business dating and you hear a sermon like this and the Holy Ghost convicts you and you say, man, I need to go home and break up with her. i got to break up with him. It's going to hurt. But what happened? Abraham just kept on walking with God, learning lessons, realizing he can't do that again. And he's... He's still determined, I'm going to learn, I'm going to grow, I'm going to be better, I'm going to trust God. And y'all, in time, he reached a place where he was full of faith. How do I know that? Because one day God does something that's totally out of nature for God. I would not understand why. This is not the kind of thing that Jehovah God does. He says, take your son, your only son, up to Mount Moriah, tie him up, put him on an altar, uh, take your knife, kill him, and put him on fire and sacrifice him to me. That's not God. But Abraham, instead of questioning or doing what Abraham wants to do, Takes his son, goes up the mountain right, ties him up, put him on, puts him on an altar, gets a knife, pulls it up, and is ready to thrust it in his chest. And God says, Abraham, Abraham, whoa, 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 whoa. Yep, God, I'm ready. I know you are. Put the knife down, step away from the knife. Now I know that you'll not withhold anything from Now I know that you trust me. He said, what, what was happening there, Pastor? Here's what's happening. The writer of Hebrews explains this. The writer of Hebrews said Abraham had reached the point where he believed that Isaac was going to be the promise. Out of Isaac was going to come the nation of Israel. Isaac and the nation of Israel was, were going to possess what is now Israel, the land of Israel. That all He believed all that, and he said, well, I don't know how it's going to happen. The only way I know is when I thrust the knife into him and he dies, God's resurrection power is just going to bring you back to life, and he's going to come up. That's, that's what the Bible says. He trusted that God would just raise him back to life. Now, that's faith. When you can get to the point that you will do what God says without questioning it, you just trust him. That's when you know you're walking full of faith. I want you to stand with me. I want everybody to come down here to the altar. And I want to tell you one more story. But I want the prayer team members, every elder and his wife, deacon and his wife, life group leader, I need your help. Life group leaders, your spouse, department leaders, your spouse, I need you to come down here, turn, stand in the front and face the, face the people because we're going to pray for needs today. So all the leadership, come up here and stand and just help me out. I need you, I need you desperately. These folks need you. Make your way to the front. Hallelujah. Come on, we're going to give you a chance to get ministered to in the final minutes of this service. When I was younger, there was a guy, an African-American preacher that I loved. His name was E.V. Hill. Anybody ever heard of E.V. Hill? E.V. Hill was a character. What a preacher. Man, that guy was a preaching machine. 
And Dr. James Dobson, years ago in Focus on the Family, actually played on the radio his wife's funeral, Evie's funeral, his wife's funeral. His wife died. She asked him to preach his funeral, her funeral. I don't know how he did it. It was masterful. I just don't know how he kept himself composed. He talked about her and what a wonderful woman she was. She was just something else. A pastor's wife extraordinary, extraordinary. It was just, it was something to hear him talk about her. But he said when he got to the end, his wife, had, I think she had battled cancer. She won one battled cancer, but she lost the second battle. And they were in the hospital. And he knew she was getting low. He started talking. He went to the chapel. He's talking to the Lord. Lord, you got to help me here. Help me. Help me with this. I want you to heal her. He called her baby. I need you to heal baby, my baby. He said the scripture that came to him, and he used it in the funeral. He said, the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what Job said. He said preachers have a hard time with that because we love the part about the Lord gives. But that part about the Lord taking away, we struggle with that. And then he says what preachers say is, well, no, the devil takes away. But he said the devil didn't take my he said she was a child of God. God came for her. He said, so I'm wrestling with that, but I don't want God to take her. He said, I want her. And, and so he's talking to the Lord, and he said, I, I want you to heal her, and I want to keep her. And he said, Evie, he said, Spirit of God spoke two words into him. He's preaching this in his funeral. You can Google this or YouTube it. He said, Evie, I want to say just two words to you. Trust me. Trust me. I know you want her, but it's time. Trust me. I know that she's sick, but I'm going to change all that. Trust me. She's corruptible right now, but I'm going to clothe her with incorruptibility. Trust me. She's mortal. You know she's going to die. But when I get through with her, she will be immortal. Trust me. You just got to trust me, Evie. Trust me. You should hear him preach it. I don't know how he did it. But he wanted that congregation to know that the way he was making it was that God had let him know that even in the valley of the shadow of death, you can trust him all the way. So this morning, what is it? that you're going through. Where are you? What is it that you need God to do in your life? Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.